late. Here we are, May 19th, halfway through the month, fifth month of the year. Goodness sakes, where is the year going? You know, it's kind of sad because, you know, now that it's warm and we've all been waiting for summer so we can get out and do things and we realize that now it's going to go really fast and the next thing is going to be cold again. But, hey, well, my gosh, we have a visitor today. Goodness sakes. Have you ever been here before? Okay, all right, okay. Well, it's good to see you, Mary. Okay, very good. Well, today is the 19th. Uh, yes, Paxton Church of the Brethren is who we're pay, praying for today. Uh, they're in Harrisburg uh, and Jennersville in West Grove, Pennsylvania is praying for us. So we will try and remember. I missed, if you remember last Sunday, I missed that during the prayer that we were going to pray for uh, why I'm missing. So I apologize that to that. But uh, Paxton Church is our, our prayer partner today. I think... We don't have any youngins to light the candles. Will you excuse me while I do that? I, Luke isn't going to be able to do that yet, is he? Okay. Not yet. Maybe next week. Oh, now they come. Okay. I think, uh, I don't, I'm hoping that we can have a uh, leaders team meeting after church next Sunday. If, uh, if we can do that, uh, we'd like to pull that off. It's right after church on Sunday. Yes, ma'am, sure. Why don't you give it now and we can still pray for the situation on Thursday. Very, I, I know. Let me get to you the handheld. We are in the process of trying to find uh, some people that would be willing to go to Hempfield Church of the Brethren this coming Thursday. Uh, there's a meeting from 6.30, and it's marked on the district uh, website uh, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Yeah, 8 o'clock. Uh, this is a bunch of denominational leaders and district leaders regarding the turbulence that is happening uh, in the Church of the Brethren right now. Um, a turbulence pr pr uh, principally regarding those of uh, gay activism, 
for a gay lifestyle among brethren um, and speaking to that issue. Um, the dominoes are falling in the terms of churches leaving the Church of the Brethren. This past Thursday, I was in a, a meeting at, where was it, at Middle Creek Church of the Brethren of pastors who uh, pretty much of like mind in, in, and we see this gay activism thing as inappropriate among the brethren. Um, very, very sober meeting this last week. Very, in fact, uh, uh, more so than any other meeting I have been to for the last 45 years this past week. Talking about, number one, we as pastors see that uh, a division, that is a splitting up of the Church of the Brethren, is pretty much inevitable. It's already in process, multiple churches leaving from multiple different districts. The thing that, it, that uh, is causing consternation among those leaving is the fact that there is huge penalties regarding congregations leaving the Church of the Brethren over gay agenda. Um, as I understand, and this, if I'm accurate on this, the Middle District Church of the Brethren, which is near Lebanon, south of Lebanon, no longer exists. They have left the Church of the Brethren, very large congregation. When Karen and I were there, there was maybe five or 600 uh, in the congregation. The district board entered negotiations with them and asked for payment over five years of $275 a member per year, I think, over five years. Maybe 55 year, but any, anyway, very, you know, and a large congregation can manage that kind of expense way better than uh, small congregations, all right? The fact that you're penalized if you want to leave over biblical reasons, this is a problem. So our pastor's group this past Thursday is bringing a strong, ardent uh, recommendation, or you might call it a petition, to the meeting this coming Thursday down at Hempfield saying, please, as leaders of the church, please, for a, a specified period, maybe two years, maybe one year, those of us that want to depart, let us do it without penalty. They, call, they are calling this friendly exit. And um, we, what we hear is there's a bunch of those that are way off on the, on the progressive side that want all kinds of uh, gay ministers and gay weddings and all this kind of thing in the Church of the Brethren. Even they are saying, yeah, we need to, we, we need to provide a means where we can go our separate ways and not be obnoxious. So there may be even people on the left that would vote yes for this. And to do it 
uh, starting in our district, we have to have the denomination and annual conference says a district board has a fiduciary responsibility regarding church property and church finances that, that our congregation really holds that in trust for the district board. This was set up years and, you know, 100 and some years ago for some good reasons, but right now this has become a sticking point, all right? And so there's, there, we are asking for the rules that are in place regarding presbyterial building holdings to, to suspend that for a period of time that those that are interested, and, and, and here's what we're saying at the district level, well, let's keep the churches that are interested in, in holding to a biblical point of view. Let's form our own association or our own, well, I don't know what you want to call it, our own group, our own organization, and to stay, for these churches to stay in fellowship with one another. All right. Um, Jim Meyer, who is a member of a little gathering for Marion, she said, there's cake, isn't there? Said, That's a stupid question. <laughs> and you notice something else. We have, we have some birthdays, too. Uh, Kayla is having a birthday. Monday, Monday, put that on your calendar. <laughs> it says she's going to be 19 years old. <laughs> and, and Ty? It, <laughs> Ty Long is having a birthday today. Yeah, TJ. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry, it's Junior. Yes. So... Uh, some birthdays we have to acknowledge when we get to that point. But uh, let's uh, turn our attention to our prayer ministry guide. And uh, we'll look for some uh, updates. Christine, do you have anything you need to share? You do. Very well. Okay. Uh, yes, we did have on our prayer chain this week Donald Hoover, who has prostate cancer. Uh, who is a nephew by marriage to Joyce Strickler. And Joyce has her sister Linda here today, which is very nice. Um, Bud Espenshade, I had him put on the prayer chain also. Uh, Bud fell and has three fractured vertebrae in the back, which is not good, but he's doing quite well with what has happened. They have a harness thing on him. He had called us. So I talked to him personally myself, and I'm um, sitting up in the chair, and I do have him moving around, which I'm, you know, at first he had a thing around his neck and wasn't allowed to move at all. But then when they did tests, so thank goodness, uh, prayers were answered immediately, really. And I put it on the prayer chain. As soon as I heard it, I put it on. And by the next day, when he called me, and he said, yes, the results of the MRI, I don't have to have an operation which is a blessing in itself because they may have had to operate the whole from top to bottom on the back. 
but thank goodness things are already starting to heal in a, in a sense, really, which is wonderful. And, um, and then I got some very sad news. I had just put my one classmate on, George Eby, under illnesses. Uh, he was in the Jefferson Burns Center at Philly due to a fire at their home. And he had lots of smoke inhalation, which now it has taken his life. I got word yesterday that he passed away. And I have his wife on the prayer guide. She has cancer, Peggy Eby. And it's just a sad situation, the whole thing. And they really need our prayers, the whole family. So I just wanted to share that with some of these people. And also keep Doc in mind. He's still having testing done for his shoulder. We were just talking, and it's like, oh, boy. They did one thing, and then they forgot something else and didn't have something right. Now they have to do it again. And So he's going through medical testing, too, which it's a, it's a challenge. It's always something going on. Get over there, Amy. I, yeah, I was going to say about his, t tomorrow Doc goes for more testing, uh, the EMG, the nerve test, and then we see a, actually a neurologist right after it. So so the, the bone and joint doctor has now said, I'm not sure how to help you, so he's consulting with the <coughs> neurosurgeon, which is like a big scary word to me, but I feel like it's just consultation to try to see, you know, a little bit more. Um, so yeah, prayers. <laughs> He's going to have a shocking experience tomorrow. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is last evening we were at our nephew's graduation party. He uh, graduated from Bloomsburg last Saturday. He is looking, he, his desire would be to be a state police officer um he's gone through the process a couple times and it's a big process apparently so <clears throat> now well now now he's applying for more local because he didn't make it the whole way through the the state police process so he's looking for like local law enforcement but um just prayers there uh he's he really wants i mean it's like he really wants to do it but Oh, for for lower packs then. okay yeah so so that's a whole process of interviewing family and all of that and then the other thing is on Saturday he so this is Doc's sister's son, youngest son but I believe it's Saturday I could be wrong about that but their four boys are going to Haiti on a mission trip together so prayers for them is well yeah what what used to be Midway. <laughs> South Lebanon Community Church, yes, Community Fellowship, so yes, that is where they are, uh, attend. Church. Yes. So, yeah, they're, they will be leaving, I believe it's Saturday to go to Haiti, so. Prayers for them. Have they been on a mission trip before? Oh, okay. Well, at least they have four. Right, and that's what... Some will stay, and <laughs> or they'll be all bonded. <laughs> Maybe they'll come back. Tomorrow. 
I've been blessed to have grandchildren all around me this weekend. It's been wonderful. And Rosetta will be 15 on Wednesday. So uh, she's having a birthday this week, too. Okay. 15 this Wednesday. You know, when we have visitors and they, they have a birthday, they have to stand up and sing a solo. No? understood you to say, Pastor Sandy, is that uh, the people on the pro, on the, on the side that we are not on, the pro-gay agenda, don't really listen very carefully to the people who have a biblical view. Is that correct? And I just want to say that the same thing is happening in this church, is the people who, who believe in praying in tongues or praying in the spirit or the Pentecostal experience don't re haven't received any recognition from the general population and definitely from this leadership. And I would like to say in Jesus' name that the, those of us who are on the biblical side can't expect a, recep a, a proper reception if we're not willing to give a proper reception in our local churches. Thank you. Are you expecting a response? Okay. Well, I would like to say thank you to everyone that prayed for me. I'm now going through uh, different tests and I got the results of one this week that is very good so I want to say thank you and uh, I uh, will appreciate any prayers thank you absolutely prayer always helps anyone else Nancy Joel said that Davey might have another kidney stone or he has a kidney stone. What are you doing? Marvison needs you. No, he needs our prayer. Ooh, they're they're painful. Okay. Anyone else? Well, a lot to pray for. Let's come together in prayer. Heavenly Father, there's always a lot to pray for. We're never at a loss to say, oh, well, there's nothing to pray about. There's always something to pray about. But when we have things that hit home and are really prominent in our community, then we come to you more readily with prayer. And maybe that's not the way it should be but that's the way in reality it is. And of course, we have a lot of people that are, are suffering, whose families have lost loved ones, comfort them. We have individuals in our own congregation who are uh, looking at testing and, and are eager to find out results and a way of alleviating their physical and mental stress. 
comfort them and please intercede and give them good results also. And we also thank you for good results for, for tests. It's a wonderful thing that we can come to you with all sorts of problems, all sorts of requests, and all sorts of joys. We also, Lord, know that there's great conflict within our denomination, our Church of the Brethren, which we always felt was a tight-knit organization. However, the world creeps in, and we're facing that situation now. And we're at the crossroads where do we follow you or do we follow the Lord or the world? Excuse me. Keep us on track, Lord. Put your hand in this meeting coming up Thursday. Let cool heads prevail. And let us try and work out the situation in your leading. We don't want to abandon the scriptures. It is not our choice. It is your choice. And that's what we want to follow. Thank you, Lord, for leading us and giving us the words to say and the, the reasons to listen and the reasons to compromise or the reasons to uh, prevail at this coming meeting. And, Lord, we, we have uh, other concerns. We have individuals that are, are celebrating birthdays and, and celebrating <clears throat> anniversaries. Bless Kayla and Ty Jr. as they go and approach their birthdays, a joyous occasion, Lord. We pray that uh, you will give them great, great joy as they celebrate with their families. And we pray also, Lord, for uh, Paxton Church of the Brethren. As we know, that they're a small congregation, Lord but they have gone through conflicts also. And now they have leadership. Bless their leadership, Lord. Give them strength. Give them perseverance. And, and uh, I know personally that they have outreach and, uh, within their community that is successful. Give them strength in that endeavor, Lord. Thank you for their beliefs. Thank you for their faithfulness. Bless each one of us, Lord. We have things that are not publicly acknowledged, but you know what they are. There is no hiding anything from you. Such a blessing that we can turn to you no matter what. Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our cries from our hearts. We ask you to guide us, lead us, and give us strength as we approach various conflicts. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name, our Savior, the one that we look forward to meeting, the one that will always greet us with a smile. In his name we pray, amen. We did not sing happy... Excuse me, I have a hair in my mouth. And we've been married for five years, and I think I'm developing a small measure of wisdom because this year I bought one gift for Mother's Day and her birthday. There you go. Right. Right. Good car, too.
No, 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 not a new car. And brother John, um, I hear your your sentiments. Um, what you could not know is that behind the scenes, Sandy and Mike and I have been emailing ways that we can include the entire um, fullness of the spirits in this congregation, ways that we can do that. So um, I appreciate that, and I would just say stay tuned. Sound fair? Yeah. Okay. So this morning, um, John 4, Living Water. If you want to turn there with me, we can do that. Something happened on Mike here. It just got a little bit louder. Or am I not speaking well enough? Am I okay? Okay. John 4, verse 7 through 14. I titled it Living Water. Um, Some interesting water um, slogans, advertisements I came across. Kelby drinking water. It says, drink pure, live long. Waba mineral water, balance your body, mind, and soul, end quote. And my favorite is perhaps Fiji water. Some of you may have tried Fiji water. I have not, but it says Mother Earth can be overprotective. Case in point, Fiji water, sheltered in an underground aquifer beneath 200 feet of solid volcanic rock. Fiji water is natural, delicious, and with its soft mouthfeel, unique. Unscrew the cap and discover Earth's finest water. Yeah. And so this morning we're talking about living water. And we remember Jesus turned water into wine, which emphasized that Jesus is now the place where a person goes to become clean. A few weeks ago we talked about Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation with him and Jesus said, a person must be born again from above, from water and spirit, in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus continues to reveal himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and the institutions through his conversation with a Samaritan woman. And the idea from the text this morning that I took away is that Jesus approached a person that society had cast aside so that he might offer to her living water. And the idea I want to leave you with today is that all persons are thirsty for something, but only Jesus Christ can satisfy our thirst because only he can offer living water. And so you say, well, this living water, it sounds pretty special. must be pretty hard to come by. Just like that Fiji water that's buried beneath 200 feet of volcanic rock. And surely this living water is only for the best and brightest. Living water is for all persons, even the outcasts of society. And so we're going to look at some background information here as we dive into these verses. We're going to start with verses 7 through 9. And so I'm going to read this together with you if you want to follow along. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. So from verses 1 through 6, 
and I didn't read that, but from verses 1 through 6, we know Jesus left from Judea and was traveling to Galilee as he had to pass through, excuse me, he had to pass through Samaria to get there. And so I'm sure all of you have probably heard in the past that the Jewish people would travel around Samaria rather than passing through it so that they would not become ceremonially unclean. They didn't like the Samaritans, and that's very likely. Uh, the Jewish people tended to stay away from Samaria whenever they could, but it's also a reality, and we have evidence that the Jewish people would travel through Samaria. When they were going from Galilee to Jerusalem, they would travel through Samaria, Samaria because it was a much shorter route, and who can blame them? I'm always looking for shortcuts when I'm going somewhere. So why exactly did the Jewish people and the Samaritan people not get along with one another? The tension between the Jews and the Samaritans stems from the division of the northern and southern kingdoms. And so understanding history helps us better understand the complexities of this passage. And so remember the early kings of Israel. We had Saul and then David and then Solomon, and then Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was instrumental in the split of the kingdom of Israel. The northern tribes decided they had enough of him, and so they crowned, to make it more confusing, Jeroboam. So we have Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north as their king. Now Jeroboam, he made a lot of mistakes, and so we're going to look at 1 Kings 12. If you want to turn there with me, 1 Kings comes after 2 Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 33. So I'm going to read this here. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. This is the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom will turn back to the house of David, which is the southern kingdom. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel. This is the northern kingdom who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. So Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom, and he established a worship system that was in competition with Jerusalem. And these competing worship centers set north against south. And so let's go a few pages forward to 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings is after 1 Kings and before 
Third Kings. All right, just making sure we're paying attention. Second Kings. We're going to go to 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah. Okay, so we have Ahaz, who's the king in the southern kingdom, that's Judah. Hoshea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So he was bad, but he wasn't really bad. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. That means they just entered into some sort of a relationship where Hoshea would pay tribute to Shalmaneser. He'd give him a portion of his goods. Think of taxes. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to Sah, the king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore... The king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. So verses 1 through 5 tells us that Samaria is serving as a capital city of Israel. The king of Israel, Hoshea, does not pay tribute to the king of Assyria and is thrown in jail for treachery. Then the king of Assyria came to Samaria. He besieged it for three years conquered the city around 722 B.C., roughly 700 years before Jesus is born. The Israelites were carried away. They were deported. The king of Assyria repopulated the land of Samaria with other peoples that he had conquered. This is very common in the ancient world. A, a ruling king would come in. He would conquer a land, take away the best and brightest of the land, and then repopulate it with people that he had conquered from a different land. It was a form of colonialism ancient form of colonialism. Let's look at verses 24 to 28. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Avah, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. And then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go back and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. And so the people living in Samaria at this time did not fear Yahweh, which is the God of the Hebrews. They did not fear him. This is our God. Thus he sent lions among them. And so the king of Assyria said, well, find one of those priests that we carried away from, from there, send him back, Teach all these new people living in this land how to serve this God, Yahweh. So let's go to 29 through 33. But every nation still made gods of its own, 
and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived, the men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benath, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashimoth, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. And so despite the teaching, the people still served their own gods, although they did acknowledge Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. There was a mixing bowl of religions here at Samaria where all religions could come and sacrifice and worship together under one roof. We call that syncretism. Syncretism is, was repulsive to the Jewish people. It was a direct violation of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It was a violation of the first commandment. You know those, those odd commands in the... In, um, um, Leviticus talking about not mixing fabrics. I mean, this is the idea we're talking about here. Don't mix these th this idea of religions together. And that's what was happening here in Samaria. The great Jewish historian Josephus said that during the period of Alexander the Great, so now we've moved from 722 when Samaria was overrun by the king of Assyria, we've moved forward 350 years. So we're at 350 to 320 B.C., Alexander the Great. I'm sure some of you have heard of him. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, said that Samaritan officials were given approval to build a temple on Mount Gerizim by Alexander the Great. And the building of this temple on Mount Gerizim solidified this break between Jewish and Samaritan peoples. By the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek king, of the Seleucids, which became the Roman Empire. This is roughly 175 years before the birth of Jesus. The Samaritans denounced the Jewish people before the king of the Seleucids, Antiochus. And they accepted Hellenism by dedicating their temple at Mount Gerizim to Zeus. We've all heard of Zeus, right? Yeah, the Greek mythological god Zeus. Roughly 75 years later, this is about 100 years before the birth of Jesus, Jewish revolutionary fighters led by a man named John Hyrcanus would destroy the city of Samaria, including the temple at Mount Gerizim. So there, was, there is a, a rich history of animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The Samaritans would only acknowledge the first five books of the Bible. There's evidence that they took the original first five books of the Bible, cut out certain portions, portions added new portions with other mythical traditions. They insisted that Mount Gerizim was the divinely ordained center for worship. The Samaritans were not a branch of Judaism. Rather, they were a rival faith which claimed to be the true representation of the Hebrew God, Yahweh. 
the hostility that existed between the Jews and Samaritans should make it all the more striking that a Samaritan was the, he, was the hero of Jesus' parable in Luke 10. And that unlike those nine Jews who had been healed from leprosy, a Samaritan was the only one who returned to give thanks to Jesus. And moreover, we should remember that Samaria was the first mission field of Christianity. John makes it explicitly clear that not just any woman came to the well that day, rather a Samaritan woman. He's describing someone who the Jews knew very well, but did not like. Those persons, the Jews would have likely thought, are dirty, vile creatures that do not worship Yahweh, and to even touch one is bordering on sinful activity. Don't get too close. You might just get sick breathing in the same air as them. The level of disgust and disdain was palpable. The Samaritan woman, she knew this. She was well aware of this, which is why she said to Jesus, how in the world is it that you, being a Jew, are asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. Her question's probably rhetorical. It's not asking the question truly. How are you asking me? She's kind of saying to him, what, what are you doing? In other words, you know we don't get along. Two Sundays ago, Luke and I went over to Tractor Sunday. And we had a great time, and we got in the truck to drive home, and as we got closer to home, Luke said he was hungry, and he asked for pizza. And so we went to a pizza shop in Anvil. And as I walked in, I immediately noticed that the place was full of church folk, right? Everyone was dressed nicely, tucked in shirts, smiles, families. It was just a, it was a great atmosphere. I, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being in there. And as I walked to the counter to order food, I noticed that the adjacent wall next to the counter had Bible verses that children had written. And they put it up on the wall, and I thought, wow, you know, this is really cool. You know, what a great place, not afraid to share the gospel. And so Luke and I, we sat down, ate our pizza. It came out a few minutes later, and said that the wrong way. Luke and I sat down, and then a few minutes later, we ate our pizza. Now, you may recall that it rained on Tractor Sunday. And so as Luke and I were sitting there, I happened to see this man walking on the sidewalk. He didn't have an umbrella. He hung his head real low like this. As he was walking, his clothes were noticeably worn, dirty. And he stopped at the window of the pizza shop, and he, he put his head against the window looked in the window like this and you know I can only imagine that he saw this picture perfect scene of church folks nicely dressed smiling sharing a meal together after worshiping and, and I'm not sure if anyone else even noticed him but I did and so I, I waved you know from inside to him and, and boy that was all this guy needed I mean he quickly walked around the door began to enter the pizza shop and boy did the scene in that restaurant change <laughs> when this guy started to walk in. Uh, you know, heads went in other directions. You know, some people kind of looked at him and, and just kind of went like this and quickly turned their heads. They didn't want to make eye contact with him. And so I thought, well, I waved at him, so, you know, I certainly don't want this man to feel unwelcome. So I kept smiling as he walked in, you know, making eye contact with him. And I motioned for him to come over to our table. And as he got closer, you know, I could see that his hair had not been washed in a long time. 
his clothes were very dirty. He hadn't shaved in, in a long time. He was missing most of his teeth, and one of his eyes was completely missing. I didn't smell particularly pleasant. And as he got closer to shake my hand that I had extended, I knew that this man was not clean in the sense of personal hygiene. And for a moment, I had this thought in my mind, oh, my goodness, you know, should I even shake this man's hand? I'm eating food. Who knows where this man's hands have been? Do I want him close to my son? Truly, it was not me that was extending my hand, for I was thinking of reasons not to extend my hand. Rather, it was the Holy Spirit that was reaching out to this man. I introduced myself, and he did the same, and I offered him some of the food at our table. He declined, and you know, I asked if he wanted to sit down, and he said no, and he talked for a few moments, and then he asked for money. Don't give money to a bum. They will only use it for drugs or alcohol. How many times have we heard that? I find no scriptural evidence for that sentiment. Rather, I have only found a command in Luke 6.30 to give to everyone who begs from you. So I gave him some money. And shortly after giving him money, an employee of the restaurant came over and asked him to leave. Now, as it happened, I saw this man two days later. Can you believe that? Two days later at a grocery store. He was buying food. I smiled and said hello. We didn't really get a chance to talk too much in depth, but I was comforted by thinking that, you know, perhaps the money that I gave him contributed to the groceries he was buying. And what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is this. Jesus is not defiled by what is unclean. Rather, he sanctifies. He makes clean what he touches. The Jews would not touch the Samaritans for fear of becoming unclean. Much like I was apprehensive to touch that man at the pizza shop. But it is the ones who were unclean that Jesus came to save. Living water is not a luxury item for the wealthy. Rather, it is for all persons, even the outcasts of society. How can we live in response to this? But we, need, we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see others as Jesus sees them. That's not easy. We must reach out to those the world says are outcasts and offer to them the living water of Jesus because we were once outcasts. I was an outcast. But Jesus saved me and he wants to save others. And for reasons that I do not fully understand, God chooses to include us in his work, we, we are to be the body of Christ. And therefore, we too must reach out to the lepers, the outcasts of society. Living water is given to the outcasts. And living water is also given to the one who asks. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10, I'm sorry, of John 4. I'll give you a moment to get back there if you need. Chapter 4, verse 10. So 
So Jesus responds to the Samaritan woman by saying, if you really knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given living water to you. And that word if, if you really knew the gift of God, if is important. Anytime we see this word, we need to know that it begins a conditional statement. Jesus is using a conditional statement to make a point to the Samaritan woman. It's called a contrary to fact conditional statement. It assumes the truth of an untrue statement for sake of argument. It, we, we do this every day in, in the course of normal language. If you had seen the movie, but you did not, then you would understand its meaning. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you really knew the gift of God, but you do not, you would have asked him, and he would have given to you living water. And so what is this gift of God? Well, from our perspective, the answer seems pretty straightforward. The gift of God is eternal life that only Jesus can give. I'm sorry. Are you taking him to the nursery? Okay, I'm it doesn't bother me as much. I just don't want it to disrupt you all. So again, what is the gift of God? And from our perspective, it seems straightforward. The gift of God is eternal life that only Jesus can give. And I think this understanding is absolutely correct. And I also think that in the immediate context, the gift of God is his written revelation to mankind. It's God's word that reveals the truth to us. It is a gift from God, which if we did not have, we would be left in the dark. The truth is we are dying because we have been separated from the true source of life. Jeremiah 2.13, you don't have to turn there, but it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. <clears throat> and hewed out cisterns for themselves, that made, made cisterns, made jars for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so, in a sense, Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman, if you truly understood the gift of God's word, you would come to me, because the things that you fill your life with cannot hold water. Therefore, they are empty and will never satisfy you. You will only be satisfied in me. And think back to a time when perhaps you were not walking with Jesus. What did you fill your life with? Did it satisfy you? Yeah, sure, maybe for a time. But you had to go back. Or maybe you had to find something else to satisfy you. Do you know someone that is filling their life with something that they keep going back to, hoping that it will give meaning to their life? Maybe it's drugs alcohol, pornography, even our careers. And we want to work hard, and it's part of our heritage here in central Pennsylvania. There's nothing wrong with a good, honest day's work. But sometimes we get so caught up in our culture that we miss the simplicity of Jesus' message. If you would have just asked me, then I would have given it to you. And who here today, when your child 
asked you for a drink did not promptly drop what you were doing to give them some water. For the entire history of mankind, we have been working to get back to God. And all of our efforts have failed. Don't miss this. The incredible truth is that in order to get back to God, we simply need to ask Jesus. Because he loves us. We are his children. And he wants us to be satisfied. And he knows that we will only be satisfied in him because he made us. How should we respond to this? Well, I think we can do two things. We can, number one, thank Jesus. And number two, we can share living water with someone we know. There are many persons in this world thirsting for the truth. They know something is out there. They know that there's something out there that will satisfy them. Otherwise, they wouldn't try to fill their lives with stuff. But they just don't know where to go. We can share the living water with them because we know that only living water will satisfy their thirst. Let's go down to verses 11 through 14. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank, it, drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the Samaritan woman was still not quite understanding what Jesus was saying. And she basically responded to him by saying, what, what are you talking about? Even if you could offer me water, you don't have anything to draw water with from the well. That well's probably over 100 feet deep. Where exactly is this living water supposed to come from, sir? Moreover, you didn't even dig this well. Our ancestor Jacob dug this well. And so if anyone can offer me water, it would be him. Because this well is still providing water today. Now the Samaritan woman obviously had some exposure to the Torah. The first five books of our Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible reference Jacob. But again, it's likely that her understanding of God at this point was mixed with other religions. Her response is obviously a rejection of Jesus' request, but she thought wrong for two reasons. Number one, living water doesn't come from a well. And two, Jesus is certainly greater than Jacob, but she did not know that. So there's a contrast and a spiritual reality in these verses between a well of water that must be drawn and the well of living water that Jesus so freely gives. I should say spring of living water that Jesus so freely gives. Yes, the well that man digs will supply water for a time, but we will need to go back to it for more water because it can only satisfy our thirst for a period of time. In addition to that, wells run dry. After time, there's no more water, and so a new well must be dug. 
Has anyone experienced this in their lives? A sin that we keep coming back to? Brothers and sisters, we were made for eternity by the eternal God. We have a thirst for God and for eternity that we try to fill with stuff from this world and it leaves us thirsty. Our eternal desires for God can only be satisfied in Christ. And the reality is that we do put stuff in our lives, not with the intention of satisfying a purely physical desire. Rather, we put stuff in our lives with the intention of satisfying a desire that is deep within our hearts, our innermost being. Jesus explains this very well in verse 14. He says, The one who drinks from the water which I will give to him will never thirst again because the water which I will give to him will become in him a spring of water flowing up to eternal life. Now your English translations may separate verse 14 into two sentences when it's actually just one sentence in the Greek text. Two independent clauses united by a causal conjunction, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in this congregation who enjoys causal conjunctions. Karen, I'm looking at you. Right? A causal conjunction expresses the reasons for something. It answers the question, why? Why will the person who drinks from the water which Jesus gives to him never thirst again? Why? Because the water which Jesus gives will become a spring of water flowing up rising up, pushing up to eternal life. Notice how Jesus identifies the source of our thirsting as being deep within us because that is where he supplies this living water. He creates a spring of life in us. And notice also that Jesus is not talking about a well. He uses a different word here, spring. The water from a well must be drawn to the surface. And eventually that well dries up, but a spring pushes the water to the surface. It perpetually flows. Cool water that is satisfying and never-ending. Notice the connection between the spring of living water and the second birth from above. Being born from water and spirit, all persons that are confessing Christ as Savior, have this living water in us. The Holy Spirit living within us that is rising to the surface. How can we live in response to this entire passage of Scripture? Number one, living water is available to all persons, even the outcasts of society. Notice that Jesus had two conversations here back to back, and I know we've Some time has interrupted this, but John 3, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Flip the page, John 4, Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Nicodemus, an esteemed, wealthy, intelligent man. And then Jesus speaks to a despised, poor, uneducated Samaritan woman. And he made the same offer to both. It's not our job to make someone drink from this spring, but it is our job to tell them where it is located. 
Living water is given to the one who asks. I want to work hard for God, and I'm sure you all feel the same way. We, we want to do a good job for the Lord. But nothing that I can ever do will make me worthy of this gift of God. It's a free gift for whomever would humbly ask for it from Jesus. And we need to help others understand that Jesus gives.